Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs lose their first game of the unofficial second half, 3-2 in regulation to the New York Islanders, dropping all three games of the Isles this season. They picked up a couple of points, a couple of overtime losses last night, though, in regulation. So natural stat trick and expected goals, they agree with me that this came down to goaltending. I mean, you know, just the normal stats of shots also agree with me. I had a couple of stats for you. Eyeball one, eyeball two. Yeah. Open them. And well, I'll they, tell you that. They also did yeah. that. But everything would indicate that the difference in the hockey game yesterday and not that Ilya Samsonov was bad. And the bar has been changed numerous times with Ilya Samsonov this season. Mm-hmm. Beginning of the year, it was like, oh, well, do what you did last season, which was a guy that was one of the best goalies in the entire National Hockey League in six games against a future Hall of Famer. You outplayed him. Like, if you do that, the sky's the limit. And it was like, oh, just don't be horrific. <laughs> and I guess we're still in don't be horrific land, despite the fact that he was better than not horrific in mm-hmm. his previous three-game winning streak. And he wasn't in cost in the game. Expected goals for, expected goals against, at 5-on-5 five five in the hockey game were the Toronto Maple Leafs leading 2.89 to 2.33. So three allowing, that's more goals than expected. Yeah. Two below <laughs> expected is Ilya Sorokin outdueling uh, Ilya Samsonov. Um, it's a position that is very nebulous and we've tried to mm-hmm. quantify and it's almost entirely the reason why a team is going to exceed expectations or fall below them. Yeah, it's the it's a tale as old as time. We'll sit here and we'll talk about culture and the way coaches run their lines and do you like do you like the way your star players played and what's the blue line look like? And look, like all that stuff matters. Of course it does or we wouldn't talk about it. But the thing that probably matters the most, and it's not because it actually matters the most, but if you don't have it at a high enough baseline level, it will totally nuke you, is goaltending. We've just seen it time and time again. The low end takes you completely out of the equation in terms of competing, and the high end of goalies can raise you to a level that, quite frankly, your team has no business reaching. So, yeah, it's, of course, it's it's actually kind of remarkable that a goalie doesn't win the heart every year when you think about it in those terms. Yeah. It's, obviously, obviously, they're not the, the best player in the league is not a goaltender. Is the most but important. if you're going to do most valuable, right. it really should be a goalie every single year. It should. Uh, and the Maple Leafs have one and, and maybe two that can compete at a high level. And we'll see when Joseph Wall, if, I guess, Joseph Wall comes back um, and it's supposed to be back practicing with this team midway through the month here. And then I would imagine a couple of weeks after that return to game action, whether the Maple Leafs have better than average goaltending. Um, so I, we kind of finished our conversation with Jason Bukala about the deadline mm. and the thought process that goes into it for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Bradford living and the fan base that feels like yeah. they're primed for not disappointment because it's like now you're surprised if the Maple Leafs do anything of consequence as far as adding before the early March deadline, it feels like. Yep. What does that do to Brad Trilliving's standing mm. as far as fan pressure? And, like, he's he doesn't care about that. No. I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, like, no, I, care, I care about that. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't say that it's a nothing as far as the reason why Sheldon Keefe still has his job, why you might see a lack of moves at the deadline. Again, there's multiple factors. One is the lack of really impactful players available in trade. Um, and the other is that they don't have a ton to trade out. They mm-hmm. don't have a, a lot of their own assets, and you want to re, 
restock the cupboards to some degree. Yep. But if we go through a whole season where his two significant additions, and again, we've been both bullish on Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi and their ability to maybe flip a switch come the if postseason. anyone can. It would be those dudes. And maybe mm-hmm. we'll see more of that as the games increase in importance down the stretch of this regular season. The yep. Leafs are still battling for their playoff lives. And yeah, it does feel a little more desperate for this team if maybe those guys start to show their playoff versions of themselves. But if you go this whole season and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, those are that's your $9 million worth of addition. Oh, and not to mention the John Klingberg thing that failed spectacularly. Mm-hmm. And you were given a reprieve by him landing on, the, on LTIR yep. as early as he did. Plus... You know, if you want a little extra juice, there's Joe Wall's LTIR money, which is like less than a million bucks. But like you have money physically to spend and you didn't spend it and it results in a first round exit yet again. And you didn't fire the head coach. And that's year two and you got to give a guy a little bit of leeway. But mm-hmm. that, that'll be quite a discussion we'll be having the beginning of next season around Brad for living. Yeah, it, it will be, of course, like everything else in the world. It just all depends on what happens. Like I don't think them waiting around this year would be viewed quite the same way as last year, but I don't know that it'd be that different either. If that makes much sense or you go, okay, all right. I don't think anyone's over the moon about this, but you're happy to kind of be at least treading water this year. The thing I, the thing I come back to with true living is the conversation we keep having about, well, look at all the holes that were left on this roster. Look at what Dubas left him and look like there were, there were holes on this roster. There was also nearly $20 million to go out and fill said holes when you add up Burt and Domi and Klingberg and Revo. Like, there was money to be had. And all that's going to matter when it comes to Domi and Bertuzzi specifically is what those guys do in the playoffs. The Klingberg one is the one that I think does make it a little more of a blinking light of why won't you do something to fix this. And part of it is the capital that's available to him. Part of it is what they, what this team has proven this year. The other thing, and you asked me this in the break, I went and looked it up. The other thing is, what did the Florida Panthers do at the deadline last year? Nothing. They traded some guys' draft rights to the Kings for future considerations. That's what they did at the deadline last year. So in a copycat league, and you know, I know we don't want to be a copycat to copy the cats to get to a cup final, but in a copycat league, that proved to be a, and look, there's a million other reasons why it's a different scenario there, but I think you can see you can see somebody like Trey Living going, okay, this worked for them last year, wasn't the kiss of death for Bill Zito or anything like that, and I can see him taking a similar tact. Yeah, it's funny to also go back and think about what the conversation could be if we're headed towards a deadline, Leafs don't add, and they got a 70-goal score, and they hadn't won a round still in 20 years, God. right? Like, it's so stupid to talk about one round changing everything it did it changed the conversation at least a little bit because yeah they did at least prove they're capable of winning a round mm-hmm. against the diminished version of the Tampa Bay lightning and certainly andre vasilevsky didn't look at his absolute best yada 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 all right time now for our insider brought to you by don valley north lexus where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom visit don valley north justin bieber was wearing damian cox's coat over the weekend he is our our leafs historian Toronto Star contributor, author of Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs. How's it going, Demo? Not not only did he wear my jacket, I got it back. It kind of smells funny. Like it doesn't smell like. Are you kidding? Like the like, I don't think I could get like one arm and maybe into the beach. He's not a big guy. eh? No, he's not. I'm always amazed at all these music stars. They're so big when they're on stage, and they seem and then physically they're often 
you know, quite small, but boy, uh, he was having a good time and everybody was having a good time. I think I'm a little, like I was caught a bit unaware a few months ago at how big Taylor Swift had become. I'm, I'm like kind of unaware how big Justin Bieber is. Yeah. Like I, you know, um, but that's, that's more a reflection on my generation as opposed to who he is, but he's obviously huge, huge, huge. Well, I mentioned this last week and and priming people for the all-star break that, Justin Bieber has more Instagram followers than Taylor Swift, which is that's saying something. It feels like Taylor Swift is the biggest celebrity on the planet right now, and Justin Bieber, in what one metric at least, is more famous than her. This is a, you know, this is a conversation we were having yesterday, and you, as our Leafs historian, you, you'd be a, a good man to ask. Uh, Austin Matthews, <laughs> what? I thought you were saying, who is the Justin Bieber of Dave Keon's day? Right. Well, if you have one for that as well, I'm open to that. We'll I would say no. Yeah, I would say. So I, I don't, it's not important, you know, in quotation marks, uh, Austin Matthews, how famous he is. I think it's interesting, uh, and especially when, you know, I'm in the business of creating content, whether he is one, the most famous Toronto Maple Leaf already. And part of it is his association with a very famous person in Justin Bieber. Uh, part of it is also being the best goal scorer in the NHL since he arrived here. But yeah, I mean, does the possibility exist he could be the, the most famous Toronto athlete when it's all said and done? I, I, For me, just setting the stage, to me, the most famous athlete to ever play here was Vince Carter at the peak of his fame, winning a, a dunk contest and being not an MVP of the league, but like maybe the most exciting player of the NBA. That was the most famous anyone's ever been playing in Toronto at, the t- at, at, at one time. And it's hockey. It's not the NBA or the NFL. So it would have to be, you know... There would have to be some level of of external fame, maybe through winning a gold medal at the Olympics for Austin Matthews. But could you see a world where Austin Matthews is the most famous Toronto athlete ever? Sure, absolutely. But I think Vince Carter. I think you hit that one right on you know right on the head that that he was. I think when when he was at his peak, he was at, he was bigger. It feels like he was bigger than Austin Matthews is now. Um, and, you know, and, and in some ways they're similar, right? Because they weren't able to really take their teams to the next level and therefore get that kind of a claim. But they were seen as supersonic athletes, um, the likes of which the city hadn't seen before. I, I mean, and I think they're, they're kind of interesting in that they're similar personalities in that they're a little bit reserved, you know? They're, they're, they're just... You know, like you think about, uh, you know, a Wendell Clark or a Doug Gilmore in the city, or you think about, um, you know, some of the Raptors we've had come through and the way they embrace the city and, and that, you know, Austin Matthews is always like a, a step back. And I think Vince Carter was because there was so much going on with him at the time. Should he be playing for the Lakers? What's he doing wasting his time in Toronto? You know, he's the best player in basketball. He's the next Michael Jordan. You know, he's in this backwater. Uh, from the NBA's perspective. And I think Matthews is kind of the same. Like, what I think is interesting, is he the most famous or could he be? Yeah, I think he's the most famous. But I don't think at this very point today, he's anywhere near the most popular player locally to ever play for the Leafs. No, I... And, you know, and and I know they're kind of different things, but they're kind of the same, aren't they? No, you're right. They're they're different, but very very similar. You again, it's it's so fitting that we have a leaf, not just a our Leafs historian on the line. So with the Gilmore and Clark stuff, 
Was that because of winning? And I know it wasn't, you know, capital W Stanley mm. Cup winning, but there were runs in there. How much of it is just as simple as that? I know some of it is play style. And like uh, Austin Matthews is, in the face. Well, I was going to say, Austin Matthews is never going to mount a guy on the North Stars and just pummel his head into the ice. I, I, one, because the North Stars don't exist. And two, I don't think he's got that <laughs> in, inside him. But how much of it is just that those guys won and people were willing to wrap their arms around him once that happened? Or was that already happening before, you know, the run in 93 or something along those lines. Yeah, no, well, but you see, Wendell was already really popular uh, well before they started winning. In fact, he was really popular playing for a loser, um, you know, during the 80s. And he was also banged up and didn't play a lot of the time. People saw something in him that really, they really liked. It was his rambunctious, give-it-all-you-got kind of um, attitude and you know, and, and very simple, look, I'm just here to play hockey. I think people look at Austin Matthews, and, and, and this is, I don't mean this pejoratively, I think they see he's a lot more about than just playing hockey, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, he's he's a light, he's he's from a different, entirely different hockey culture than Wendell Clark was. It's not even, it's not even worth comparison, comparing what the, they were to like. And I think Doug Gilmore was sort of the same, but Gilmore came here, um, right at the end, you know, it was about a year after Harold Ballard had died, after Cliff Fletcher had come in, things were sort of start, and then all of a sudden he was a piece, and all of a sudden he was like a, a real, like they hadn't had a player like him who had really, like he'd won a Stanley Cup and, um, you know, had played extremely well in the playoffs, and all of a sudden he was in town, and then the team started winning games for a couple of years. So uh, I think he was more associated with winning than Wendell was. So, you know, all these guys are different in their own different kind of ways. I mean, who was more popular than Mike Palmatier in the in the 70s? Uh, you know, and, and he was not incredibly successful as a goaltender. It's what people view in these players. I'm not even sure I really know who the most popular Toronto Maple Leaf is right now. I mean, if you guys were to say, who is the most popular? And I know that's a nebulous term. No, no, I have two answers for you, Damo, because I okay. think I think it's Austin Matthews in terms of the most beloved of the guys. But I think the person with the highest approval rating and that there's no detractors of is Morgan Riley. Like, I think for a long right. time, there's been a lot of conversations of, uh, is that your number one defenseman? But he's been the guy who's been here the longest and the loyal Leaf and part of the leadership core. And then you throw in the playoff he had last year. I think it might be Morgan Riley. I think one of the differences is between those guys of yesteryears and today is I, I these guys are already all incredibly rich. They're stars. You know, they are not, I mean, you could walk, you could, I remember, I was there, you know, Doug Gilmore would be having lunch in the Golden Griddle across the Maple Leaf Garden, and people would walk in, you know, and, like, it was, a, it, the scale of this is so entirely different to even compare them. Now, maybe, you know, I don't even know, if are there still Golden Griddles? Anyways, I you know, I don't know if you'd walk in somewhere and see, you know, Austin Matthews attacking a big plate of flapjacks, but I, I think I, I doubt it. I doubt yeah, me it. Too. I mean, he's you know he's he's like Tom Cruise. You know, he's mm. he's he's a superstar. So, and I think that was what was kind of interesting on the weekend. Um, in that uh, I was in Ottawa, so I I was just sort of viewing from afar, and I can tell you there was no pulse of the NHL All Star Game anywhere except in Toronto, but that's okay. Um, and like the Leafs, like if you're Austin Matthews, you're getting acclaimed because you're a great host. 
and you hang out with Justin Bieber and, you know, and you, you win this sort of this MVP thing and everybody and your team wins. And it's like, that's like, okay, that's what you do. Now the rest of the league will go on with the serious stuff after that, you know, and mm. even the snide comments from people like David Pasternak, I yeah. think really tells you once with the Leafs were a punchline during the Ballard era, because they were the laughs. That's what people called them. And they were a punchline from coast to coast. They're a punchline in a different way now in that I just don't think people take them seriously. I just don't think, uh, you know, that, that, that outside Toronto, I think they, they take them as a bunch of rock stars who are having mm-hmm. a great old time. And then when the serious stuff begins, they get out of the way and the other teams play for the championship. I mean, if the shoe fits, right? Like, I mean, they, they have one postseason series victory to show for it. And they have a whole lot of many millions of dollars. And the guy that just signed the $92 million extension has looked like a different dude immediately upon signing that extension. Yeah, it's, it's a hard it's a hard to get away from it. That being said, like, you know, you know, Austin Matthews did have a great series in the six games against the Lightning a season ago. He's having a great regular season despite being held off the score sheet Absolutely. yesterday. Right? Yep. Um, and that's, that's all he can do at this point until we get to the postseason. We're talking about how... It really does feel like Brad for living. If he does anything, it's not going to be much of anything at the deadline. No. And it just feels like everybody's just like, that's cool. Like Austin Matthews might score 70 goals. And, you know, um, it's there's no clear path to, to, to getting better next season. And who knows, in a world of limitless possibilities and the Eastern Conference looks pretty wide open, that, yeah, you could win. Like, are you surprised that it feels like, and I guess I could be wrong. I could be proven wrong here in a month's time that, the Leafs are going to go through a deadline where maybe they don't do anything at all. And everyone's like, eh, what are you going to do? They kind of shrug their shoulders. Yeah, I mean, when the when the big piece to move is Sean Monaghan, you realize there's not a whole lot out there. Yeah. Now, maybe maybe you get two teams together who really want to shake up their teams if it's possible, but it's difficult. I, I think it's interesting. I was just looking through the standings and, and seeing that the Leafs are in the wild card position. And you look at some of the other teams that are in wild card positions and how many of them have changed their coaches. Yep. The Kings, the Blues, uh, Edmonton, and then uh, over in the East, uh, who's the other? Oh, and the Islanders, who came in last night, looking very, very different with Patrick Waugh at the helm. I think we'd agree when they were looking earlier in the year. Um, I think that is the one card that, that they can play, and they don't seem to want to play it. So, you know, it, which is their call. And, and again, this is such a weird hockey market sometimes. Yeah, people love the game. Yeah, the GTHL is the biggest hockey league in the world. Yeah, there's more girls playing here than anywhere else. But you look around the city and you think, the Leafs get this love no matter what they do. And the same people who complain uh, get so upset if they don't do well in the playoffs are the same people in there buying those expensive tickets and buying those $25 beers when the next season comes around. And then you've got, you know, no other team can survive here. And then the, this, the women's league team has come in and done pretty well, but at the same time, no junior team can survive. In fact, the one that's here has got to move from Mississauga to Brampton for what reason I can't possibly imagine, but they must know. Like it's just such a, a peculiar market to understand what success is and what people really are yearning for in this market. You know, it's, it leaves me confused sometimes as to, you know, I I don't see anybody not showing up to leaf games because they're kind of mediocre this year. They, they, They just, in fact, like I say on the weekend, they were treated like they were the biggest thing to ever come along, you know, in the history of Toronto hockey. Uh, it's just the way it is. 
Yeah, there is an element of that for sure. I think, honestly, maybe this is way too simple, is just that winning is such a distant memory. And again, like, I'm not talking about winning a Stanley Cup. Like, yeah, there's a lot of franchises who who can sit there and look at all the 30-somethings in the crowd who have never seen it or have a, you know, a glimmering memory of it. But there's just, it's the one playoff series win in a generation. Like, I honestly wonder how much of it is that. It's just, you go around the Blue Blood franchises in all sports, and yeah, they've had their moments that they have been, you know, downtrodden. But the Dallas Cowboys don't go decades between playoff series wins. The New York Yankees, they don't go that long without playoff appearances or anything along those lines. Like, it is just, it's so, I think that's why there's this stasis in the in the fan base or the way people feel about them because it's just, unlike all the other Blue Bloods, winning is just such a distant memory. I don't know, you know, I'm I'm not sure about that because, like, I see, like, fans of the Cleveland Browns are the most, like, they are just so dedicated and so into it and so much want to win. And you look at the New York Rangers, and, like, they've won one Stanley Cup in 70-some years, right? Mm -hmm. And there seems to be, it's just something about the Leafs that I, 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 you know, I just, I find it hard to put my finger on. And, you know, and I say that at the same time that I look at this group of players and I see the incredible talent they have. Yeah. And, uh, and I really do think it's incredible. I think these guys are, are now, whether they are all a match to be on the same team at this time. And you saw last night, you know, everybody, I'm sure we're going to get into the same thing because they lost. Well, they're not tough enough. Well, you know, not being tough enough isn't why Timothy Lilgren isn't paying attention when a guy's coming out of the penalty box, mm. right? That has nothing to do with being tough or why they screw up a D-to-D pass in the final minutes of a 2-2 tie and then the puck ends up in the net. I mean, that has nothing to do with toughness. It's, it's you know, that they have these great players, but right now, as of today, they're not great enough to take an otherwise unbalanced roster to on a long winning streak. And that's what they haven't done this year. Mm-hmm. They haven't been really down for a long time. They haven't been really up. They're just sort of going along. Win a few here, lose a few here, beat Winnipeg a couple of times, yeah. go to the All-Star break. Everybody tells you great, and then come out of the All-Star break and lose to the Islanders. That's sort of their season. Yeah, be careful, though. It's a stupid sport, and who knows? Yep. This could be the year, right? <laughs> like you, I, <laughs> right? Hey, and you guys, by the way, coming in, you guys were talking about Florida. They didn't do anything at the deadline. True. What did they do? They started the playoffs with somebody else in net. And then all of a sudden they say, why don't we give goalie Bob a try? (laughs) The $10 million guy. And off they went, right? And, uh, and, you know, who thought they were going to get even past the Boston Bruins? Nobody. Nobody picked them to beat Boston. No. I mean, they had Alex Lyon in net. That's right. right. And And, uh, so, you know, who knows? Joseph Wall, maybe he'll come back in time for... Well, maybe, who knows? He doesn't sound like he's close. So that'll be, you know, Samsonov, I think he's, that's a bright note, perhaps. So we'll see how they play on against Dallas later this week. We we also started this conversation wondering who the Justin Bieber of Dave Keon's era is, and I did a little research. <laughs> oh, so if really? the Beatles are Taylor Swift, they had four number one hits in Canada in 1967. Yeah. So did the monkeys. So maybe the monkeys oh, yeah. are the Justin Bieber of Dave Keon's era. That's just for you, Damo. Thank you. And I mean, I'll do some research on this and get back to right. it. That'll be, you know, that'll be. and don't forget, mm-hmm. Anne Murray. Anne Murray oh, wanted yeah. to buy the team once. And, yeah. you know, Canada's snowbird. They right? would have won. I mean, 
Oh, sliding doors, one hundred percent. No way, no way. The hockey gods could have denied her. Yeah, not a chance. Uh, yeah, it's been a wide ranging conversation. <laughs> it really has. As it usually it, is. It usually is. It usually is. You guys open up my my mind to many things. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I like that. Good. Good. Well, I, I was going to make a Michael Bublé joke about you know the way his mind was expanded over the weekend I did as well. See that. He was. He had. He had a good time in Toronto. I think. Yeah, I think that it's easy to do that. Uh, Damien, <laughs> always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Boys, it's a sunny day. Get out there and enjoy it after you're done today. All right. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. R- all right away. See, see ya, Damien Cox. Uh, Toronto Star contributor, our Leafs historian, author of Revival, The Chaotic, Colorful Journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Uh, you were going to make a Michael Bublé joke, a much more, uh, you know, recent one. I was going to say we were the Athawaska to his Aaron Rodgers. It's just like we just get the wheels mm, turning. Maybe we're right. the darkness cave for him. Who knows? Okay, I have to get this in yes. before yes. we take a break. Okay. My dad, he was very <sighs> upset at me. So excited for this. <laughs> On the drive home yesterday, we were having our famous... Uh, Toronto athletes, famous Toronto Maple Leafs conversation. And, and he, he said, obviously, the most famous Toronto Maple Leaf, Tim Horton. And I was like, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I the mean, name is God. famous. But, like, while he, he played no, here, I he, actually, they, they, that was like a small little <sighs> coffee shop. I feel like he got you there. I got to be honest. No. No. I No. Ben, no. I, your dad's right. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> now, Tim Horton is the most famous <laughs> Toronto athlete <laughs> that will ever play. <laughs> Okay. Just saying, it's pretty famous. A lot of Americans know him. He didn't understand the question. A conglomerate in Brazil owns him now. How, Is that true? F- yeah, I think it's like a Brazilian conglomerate that owns him all. Okay, exciting. All right, uh, when we come back, it is Super Bowl week. Peter King, not all that pleased that Roger Goodell had his Super Bowl week media availability yesterday, and it was invite only wrote about it in his Football Morning in America column. We will talk to Peter King next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. We are days away from the first ever Super Bowl in Las Vegas. The NFL Traditionally, a league that had shied away from the overt association with gambling. <gasps> the world is gambling in football. Never. The world never has changed significantly, I would say. Uh, Peter King of Football Morning in America, kind enough to wake up very early for us uh, today in Las Vegas. How's it going, Peter? Thanks for doing this. Thanks. Uh, Peter. Hello? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got you. Yes, hello. Uh, did Hi. you? Hey, <laughs> did you ever... In your years covering this league, did you ever think you'd be covering a Super Bowl in Las Vegas? No way. No way. This is crazy. It's still, I still really think it is crazy. Uh, And, you know, one of the weird things about it, quite honestly, is that it's just brand new. Everything here is brand new. It's just an odd, odd situation when you open you know, you go down in the lobby in the morning and you walk through a casino to get to where the media has to go. It's just, the whole thing is weird. But 
it is what it is, as the mortal philosopher Bill Belichick once said. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say we're, we're on to Las Vegas. He said about Cincinnati, but it would have uh, would have applied there uh, as well. You know, you you mentioned, obviously, a lot of storylines with this week. One of them typically is, is Roger Goodell's uh, availability. You know, you wrote about the different nature of it this year. You know, the conversation we were having around it is, I think this is something we all very much care about. How much does this kind of cross over to the kind of common NFL fan and what does this say about about the kind of state of the league or the place of Goodell that he has this uh this availability that's to a uh, limited audience well that's an interesting that has become an interesting question because after it was well publicized that this was uh a by appointment or by uh reservation or, you know, invitation only, whatever it is. The NFL told me yesterday, we never said that anybody can come to this. And so, and the president of the pro football writers said, uh, no, it's, it's, I was told invitation only. So I, I don't know. The whole thing is weird, but I do think that having it on Monday when you're immediately going to get, uh, overtaken by Travis Kelsey talking about Taylor Swift and Kyle Shanahan talking about Brock Purdy. And, you know, because that happens an hour and a half after Goodell finishes, is it? I, I, I don't understand why the league did this. I think it should be a signature event, not an event that gets overwhelmed and overtaken by other things that happen in the same day. And, uh, I just think the NFL is trying to hide the commissioner. Yeah, and I mean, you rightly called them out for it, but it it, it seems like there's nothing that can take down the NFL yeah. behemoth. Like, it just keeps growing and growing, and now we're going to have Friday night football the day after opening day. Like, it just yeah. it feels like we haven't gotten to a limit, and people are you know, disgusted by many different things that have happened of a scandalous nature over the last decade plus. Around like, It just feels like... They, maybe they're just coming to the realization that, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, we can actually, we can hide Roger Goodell and the great Peter King can write about it and people can be upset for a day or two or not even because they'll be talking about uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Yeah, it's, you know, who knows? I, you know, look, the media is the media and it's changed so much over the years. It really has. And, you know, there's a lot of people here for the showbiz. And I think the league really, really likes it that way. So anyway, I don't know. Um, At some point there will be a game, and I just hope it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, let's talk about the game. I mean, because, again, everyone is going to pivot, and uh, we had some media availabilities yesterday. Nobody got the access that you got with Kyle Shanahan um, and his conversations with you about Brock Purdy and and the narrative that was – yeah, you know, it seems now was true, obviously, that he was interested in bringing in Tom Brady for a year while Brock Purdy recovered and that he shared that openly with Purdy. Uh, what, did you, what did you make of that interaction and, and that timeline of events? I mean, I think, I, think it's, uh, I think it's Kyle Shanahan doing what he has to do, quite honestly. He didn't know if, he, if his quarterbacks were going to be healthy uh, by the start of this season. And he told me flat out, look, if Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt, I'm not reaching out to Tom Brady. And so, I don't know. It's hard to blame him, I think. Uh, But I thought it was enlightening, his whole process, and what he was 
thinking when, when he did this. So uh, I got a lot out of the conversation. Yeah, I, uh, I would imagine you would. Uh, Cal Shanahan, pretty smart guy. And, you know, when you uh, when you have the football bloodlines you do, it doesn't always come naturally, but I think uh, some of that certainly has flowed uh, th- through his old man. Uh, I, don't to, I don't to, know where anything is. Me neither. Yeah, the the other thing we the other thing we look at regarding this game is, you know, I think when you look at the kind of key matchup here, you know, there's a couple ways you can look at it, right? Like you can go the 49ers de- vaunted defense against a Chiefs unit that's been pretty kind of, you know, banged up and haphazard at, at times this year, but you can also look at a Chiefs defense that, you know, until this year was kind of the afterthought of this team and they've really stepped up in a big way. Like of the kind of four I know it's an odd way to maybe phrase the question, but of the four units be a Chiefs offense, Chiefs defense, 49ers offense, 49ers defense. Who do you think kind of has the ability to maybe have the biggest impact on the game, Peter? It's hard to argue against the people who have been there so often. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. The, Reed, the, Mahomes, Kelsey. Those, yeah. It's, and, and that's what I keep coming back to. I mean, I do think there's something to be said for greatness of uh, of what the 49ers did this year. I really do. But so many of these guys led by the quarterback are here for the first time. And so that, to me, how does Brock Purdy handle this? I think he's going to handle it well, but we won't know until it kicks off. But we know that Mahomes will handle it well. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, Kyle Shanahan's second Super Bowl. First one, he had Jimmy Garoppolo. And in that Super Bowl, he had a 10-point lead on Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Chiefs in the fourth quarter. And they lost that game because of the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. And a uh, great pass to Tyreek Hill, if I recall, that like kind of started that, that comeback in the fourth quarter. Uh, let's say, you know, they, they come close or maybe it plays out exactly the same way. The first Super Bowl between these two teams played out. And it's just like, what are you going to do, man? He, he, they got Patrick Mahomes and we got Brock Purdy, who is incredible that we got to this point with the guy that was selected last in, in the draft. It, are, how do you view Kyle Shanahan's head coaching career as a guy that's just, you know, he did as much as he could have possibly considering the talent of his quarterbacks or a guy that just, couldn't get it done in a couple of big uh, opportunities. Here, here, here's the deal. He's only 44 years old. He, you know, by the time Andy Reid was 44 years old, he had not won a Super Bowl either. And he had lost one to the Patriots. And so that was about when he was mid-40s or something. He's 65 now. But I think there's a lot written and said about that. Uh, especially how they lost the Atlanta game. They couldn't get a first down. They had two first downs in the last 28 minutes of that game, and Tom Brady methodically tore their heart out. Um, But it's what the odd thing about this whole situation is, is that he's had them here. You know, he's had them on the cusp of it, even after trading three ones to get a quarterback who he just threw overboard in October or September, whenever he did it. It's just, it's the oddest way to construct your team. And they just very, very much lucked out by making uh, Brock Purdy, the 262nd final pick in the draft last year. 
It is remarkable when you when you think of it. I mean, the Trey Lance of it all, like it has been become such an afterthought. And, you know, I understand it's maybe not impacting the roster as much right now, but you, you just look at it and it's the idea of this team is so good. Imagine if you added more kind of blue chip talents and look, every every first round pick you, you grab doesn't end up being that. But if even if you just hit on one of those guys, it, it's remarkable. The kind of I wouldn't say a different story we're telling because it's probably a team headed to the Super Bowl, but it could be even even scarier, you know legacies are obviously so much defined by this game and we kind of had some of these moments with Brady later on in his career where you know we know what the record ends up as and it's great but there was also a time where oh he could be four and three in in the big game you know Mahomes has a chance to go to three and one in Super Bowls which would be remarkable and you know two and two is far from a slouch but it's amazing how much you know less of a feat that would feel like than than if he were to win this one like I'm not saying Mahomes legacy is on the line far far from it but when you just look at the Super Bowl records it's amazing how different three and one would feel than than two and two yeah well Mahomes legacy is definitely not on the line you know he's uh he's obviously a great player I I think there's honestly I think there's a little bit too much made of that um things like legacies and things like that because look there's no way that anybody's going to diss Mahomes if they win this game unless he throws five interceptions and I would be surprised if anybody would diss Purdy either because, I mean, look, you know, look what he's done in two years. Two years to the championship game, one year to the Super Bowl. So I think uh, I really I don't think it's for either way that it's going to happen. Uh, before you let you go, so Brock Purdy, like a lot of people like to, to, to laugh at, you know, how he looks like uh, an accountant or, or somebody that does not look like a pro athlete when he's walking to stadiums. Although there was a, a, a great pull quote from his media availability yesterday talking about how, you know, the individual is fine, but not, not what I'm in it for. Um, and there's obviously a personality there, and you've gotten to know him over, over the year. Does Brock Purdy have the personality to be a star in this league, which he may have an opportunity to do if he wins a Super Bowl? My God. If you read what Kyle Shanahan said to me in that story yesterday, the great thing about him is that none of this stuff matters to him. It doesn't matter when Ryan Clark and a bunch of people on TV, you know, belittle him. You know, he doesn't care. None of that stuff floats his boat. And the guys on his team, I think, really love his humility. So there's a lot of different personalities that have won Super Bowls. Joe Montana was quiet. You know, Tom Brady was fiery. Manning, you know, but I don't know. I, I think his personality, it's whatever you are. If you are true to yourself, your teammates are going to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He hasn't wavered. Uh, Peter, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Okay. Hey, no problem. Thank you. There's Peter King football morning in America in Las Vegas, Nevada, getting set for the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, The Niners and chiefs renewing acquaintances. So he's right to bring up the trajectory of Kyle Shanahan mm-hmm. in relation to the early Andy yeah. Reid career. Like, I think the same thing. And we were going to do a segment yesterday, which I forgot to get to. Like, mm-hmm. hey, predict a Bad Super Bowl, predict a Super Bowl week storyline. Mm-hmm. Mine was going to be that Kyle Shanahan is having the Andy Reid career. So, Reid appeared in five NFC championship games with the Eagles, one Super Bowl, right? 
he was Mr. Can't Get It Done, right? Like, oh, we'll pencil him in for another NFC Championship yep. game and another failure. And they made a Super Bowl, and Don McNabb threw up all over himself. Yep. And yada, 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 yada. Terrell Owens, broken leg, all that. Yeah. This will be Kyle Shanahan's and Tom Brady lurking. Always. Yeah, well, there's always, always that. Always. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you got Patrick Mahomes know, lurking amazing. for <laughs> second straight. I mean, the parallels are it's really good kind of eerie. This will be Kyle Shanahan's second Super Bowl. Now four NFC title games. And I think we could clearly state that the six-time Pro Bowler, Donovan McNabb, gives you a better shot at winning football games than, no offense, Brock Purdy. Maybe not in the ultimate mm. game of games, right? Maybe that was his fatal flaw. We only got to see it once, and it didn't go necessarily so well. But the overall yep. playoff stats did not line up with the regular season stats. But, yeah, you can see it's not like the die is not cast for Kyle Shanahan as far as the overall legacy is concerned. Because Andy Reid, remember, before he arrived with Patrick Mahomes, was viewed yeah. as a guy, not as a laughing stock, but like certainly closer to that end of the spectrum than not. A guy that was not a great game manager. Oh, yeah. All the jokes about you need somebody who's just playing Madden beside him, all that. Yep. No, it's amazing what happens when you get lined up with an all-time great quarterback, how all of that feels like a distant memory. And then, like, not only is Patrick Mahomes maybe going to be in the conversation for the best quarterback of all time if mm -hmm. this plays out the way it's on pace to, but you could also overtake Bill Belichick as the greatest coach in the history of the sport if you're along for the ride. It is amazing, the parallels, though, when yeah. you're talking about Shanahan's early days career and what he's been able to accomplish and with a lot of talent, no doubt, yep. on both sides of the ball, but with a quarterback that is, I mean, in Jimmy Garoppolo, the ultimate game manager and guess yet to be determined when it comes to Brock Purdy. Although, did you see some of the stats lined up like Steve Young? Yeah. And his early, and like Joe Montana yeah. and like the first. Hey, my boy Matt sample. Chatham last week was telling us how good Purdy was. Yeah. And granted, the game has changed a lot as yeah. far as the passing statistics, but like nobody's going to argue that Kyle Shanahan's had this great wealth of talent at the quarterback position. Part of that's on him too. He uh, chose Trey, Trey Lance. That's the thing that that's where I, that's where I take an off ramp in this conversation that uh, normally I'd be so there to say, yes, look at this. Look what he's done with the court. Those are the quarterbacks he wants. Yeah. He wants a guy who he can program to just say, do what I say. And is that unfair to Brock Purdy? Maybe, but take that up with Kyle Shanahan. Don't take that up with me. All this guy has done is seen talented quarterbacks that, mm, ew, Ew, do you have something that will just do what I say, please? So part of this is on Shanahan. And hey, if it works, if you get your Super Bowl, guess what? You get to laugh in my face. Not that he cares about me forever, but that's where I get off. I have to take an off ramp in the conversation because this isn't a GM doing Shanahan dirty. This isn't you know, players who should be better, not performing under him. I suppose Lance, but I think that's more on drafting than development. So yeah, that's, that's just how well, I look at it. There. And let's throw a more, a little more fuel on that fire. Yeah. So again, I implore people to go and read Peter King's football morning in America from the weekend and the conversation he had with Kyle Shanahan. They could have had Tom Brady immediately following mm -hmm. his career in new England. You know, the season in which he won his seventh super bowl his first with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. They could have had him in San Francisco to be the quarterback of that Niners team. You don't think things are playing out a little bit differently if you have Tom Brady, and he's not the, the first coach to make the mistake of thinking mm -hmm. that Jimmy Garoppolo at that point in his career right. was going to be better than Tom Brady. Yeah. Bill Belichick made the same decision until he was overruled by Robert Kraft. But yeah. 
Man, a couple of sliding doors scenarios with the quarterback and the 49ers, one with Tom Brady yeah. and two with, with Trey Lance. And, yeah, things play out a little bit differently with that Niners team and, and I think Kyle Shanahan's career. Oh, my God, in, in a million different ways. If Trey Lance is what we think, forget what, you know, the high, high end of what you thought he could be, but if Trey Lance is in there and he gives him more of a running element, we saw how huge that was for Purdy in the NFC Championship game, and he's not even out there. To, to use his legs. So, yeah, it's total sliding doors moment, and that's where I go. That's why I think we have the proof in the pudding to stay with Shanahan. He would prefer guys that he could kind of program, the idea of Brady not being able to kind of make it work there because you think he's telling Tom Brady what his what his read is on, on any given play? I, I think not. I think it's a little different telling that to Brock Purdy than it is a, you know, guy who's already got his gold jacket, even mm. though he doesn't yet, and Brady. Yeah, uh, and Peter's right to point out that, hey, we, we love people that are true to themselves, and Brock Purdy mm-hmm. certainly seems that. Um, that being said, doesn't feel like the NFL is ready to be like Brock Purdy's uh, oyster, that he's ready to be the face of the league, that he's going to be on the cover of Madden anytime soon. Yeah, you wouldn't have said, like, go look back at dorky early Brady. Like, eventually he grew into hunky three Super Bowl ring, got good hair, but go look at early Brady. Like, he was not Mr magnanimous this guy is going to be a star and I'm, <laughs> I get mad when people say Patrick Mahomes is going to be Tom Brady so I'm not saying that uh, that that you're going to see that out of Brock Purdy but that the idea that a guy gets more comfortable and he has a bit of a glow up and you know he like people become more attractive when they just get more money too like there's something <laughs> about that as well you're not wrong yeah um, it's like was it, am I ugly or broke yes is the answer it is true. Uh, Travis Kelsey's good-looking man because he has lots of money. Hunk, yeah. And he's part of the. the it makes more power than his couple. brother. See. Yeah, and he's well. <laughs> see. Yeah, I think a lot no. of people. Uh, I know, I know. He was the sexiest the, man finalist. I yeah, know. Jason Kelsey gets his fair share of acclaim when it comes to his looks. But anyways, uh, obviously the number one storyline of this week. Like, this is why when I was going to have this conversation with you, I was like, we got to separate it from the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey of it, because that is the thing that looms over everything. And by the way, Travis apparently heard some of the tracks off her new album, which is coming out in April. I said, they're great. They're super great. Um, He did say yesterday, and like, I guess you have no choice but to say this. I want this one more than I've ever wanted a Super Bowl before in my life, which is, I guess, what else are you going to say? But you talked about it. Mm -hmm. Going three and one as opposed to two and two. And it's incredible to get to four Super yeah. Bowls before your 30th birthday. Like, But that's not the conversation we're having. The conversation we want to have and are rightly having mm-hmm. and could really in earnest have yep. on Monday is Patrick Mahomes being on pace to be the best that ever lived. And we just watched the career of a guy that we thought would we'd never see mm-hmm. again in Tom Brady. It's amazing that those guys overlapped and like there was no break in the action if that's the case. But the conversation is a little bit different if you go to two and two. And you, my natural reaction to anytime I see this type of reasoning, and we've seen it before when it comes to the Warriors and the number of finals yep. that they were in and, and guys that are just in the accumulation of titles as opposed to their first one, my natural inclination is to believe that the, the guy that doesn't have it is more motivated than the guy that's just trying to create a longer legacy. But go back and look, man, yeah. like... Those are real motivating factors for dynastic franchises. Yeah, and there's there's sliding doors moments. I mentioned it with Brady. Like he starts out three and zero, he loses his next two to the Giants. If it's not for Malcolm Butler and the terrible play call by Pete Carroll, Brady is likely three and three in Super Bowls after playing in six of them. And we feel about him so differently if that's the case. 
It's just, it is, it, it is remarkable how much that can change. Roger Staubach has a two and two record in the Super Bowl. Okay, really nice. Oh boy, re- nice player. Okay, Hank Hill's <laughs> favorite quarterback. But, but we don't think about him on the Mount Rushmore quarterbacks like we think we're going to think of Mahomes one day. Yeah, there's more stakes than you realize for Mahomes yeah. and Kelsey. All Roger right. Staubach talk. Yeah, that's hot. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 fan. Good morning. Good morning.